Welcome to NCFM Today, a podcast about family medicine in the Old North State. This edition features an interview with Dr. Shauna Guthrie, Medical Director for the Granville Vance Health District and the at-large member of the Executive Committee of the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. I'm your host, Greg Griggs. Dr. Guthrie is from Kansas, but completed her medical school at Drexel University. She went on to residency at the New Hampshire Dartmouth Family Medicine Residency in Concord. After graduation, she stayed in New Hampshire to complete the Dartmouth Hitchcock Leadership in Preventive Medicine Residency, where she completed an MPH with a focus in quality improvement. So first of all, Dr. Guthrie, how are we so lucky to get you to North Carolina? Well, I can tell you, I really ended up here because of the awesome climate. In Kansas, it can be very, very cold in the winter and very, very hot in the summer. And in New Hampshire, the winters are very, very long. I could not take that anymore. They are very tough up there, but I couldn't take it, so I came down south for warmer weather. Well, tell us a little bit about your current role with the Granville Vance Health District. I'm medical director at Granville Vance District Health Department, also known as Granville Vance Public Health. There, I provide a lot of oversight and support to our awesome nursing staff. I also am a family physician and provide primary care services there. So what are the type of services that you provide? Uh, I know you've even done some Suboxone groups and different things. Tell us a little bit about what a family physician does you know, at the health department as far as services. One of the things I love about family medicine is we really can make our own way and choose what services we want to provide within our interests and abilities. And in our community, there's a large opioid problem as there is in many communities in North Carolina. And we were already working in the community to distribute naloxone, the life-saving overdose drug. And we knew that we needed to do something else to help our community. So we started offering treatment for opioid use disorder with buprenorphine products. And I, I know you're also, uh, some of the things you supervise as medical director, I know you're supervising tracing that your nurses are doing of coronavirus. What are other types of things that the medical director would oversee in the department? On a normal basis, pre-coronavirus, it's really a lot of evaluating new evidence, creating policies, looking at standing orders. A lot of our services are provided by really highly trained nurses, which is wonderful, but their abilities and knowledge only goes so far. So when something is outside their standing orders, that's when they consult with me on how to treat or evaluate something that's different from that. And I can be supervising things like STD clinic, well child checks. Uh, we also have a nurse midwife and I work with her in our maternal health program. Uh, and I know you're also providing care outside the health department in some unique settings. Uh, Tell us about some other settings where you do care on the side. Sure. Um, One of the main settings where I provide care is in Vance County Jail. I really enjoy working there with the inmates. It's an opportunity to really just work with an interesting staff and support people in a way that they're not used to receiving support. Certainly often our detention centers uh, aren't thought of places where people are there to lend a helping hand and to provide comfort and we're really glad that some of these folks who don't get care any other time can receive care when they're under our services. And, and I'm right that you've done some hospice care in the past as well to show 
the diversity of family medicine? Correct. I also am a medical director for Emeticist Hospice Services. Uh, that primarily includes weekly meetings to discuss our caseloads, uh, really where we just problem solve and also, you know, on call 24-7 for calls about patients having pain or other medical complaints. The hospice nurses, again, I'm so blessed in all the settings I work. I have such amazing nurses um, and sometimes they teach me and sometimes I teach them. Turn our attention to the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's certainly brought many of our healthcare systems failures to the forefront. Front. Uh, one I believe that it has clearly shown is the lack of long-term investment in public health and primary care. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the unique intersection of public health and primary care uh, in the midst of this pandemic? Absolutely. We've seen a lot of our primary care providers have to make significant changes in the way they provide care so that they can keep patients and themselves and their staff safe. We've seen a great amount of providers showing that they can do televisits from home, from the office, and a lot of that has really been opened up due to changes in billing that Medicaid and other insurances have allowed because of this pandemic. Unfortunately, you know, there are times when these things could have been very useful, especially in a community like where I live, where not everyone has access to transportation. And I'm hoping that now that we're doing these things, we can continue doing them in the future. So what do you think is sort of been the biggest flaw that has been uh, shown in all of this, you know, from a public health perspective? I really think this has just magnified problems that we knew were already there. We already know we have a problem with health, health equity. We know that people of color die more frequently and catch illnesses more frequently than those who are not. Um, and, and we see that same story playing out just on a bigger scale and in a more serious way. Uh, the good news is with all of this, I think it's more public and more understandable to other people. So I can see people like groups at the state who've really taken this on as a focus under coronavirus, but I think many of the programs and ideas they're working on will spread broadly and help with things other than coronavirus. The pandemic has also shown many of the flaws in our fee-for-service payment system. Uh, do you think this will move us to a more value-based payment system uh, more quickly than we may have otherwise done? That's really hard to say. I know in North Carolina, we really were making progress toward uh, turning North Carolina Medicaid into a more quality-based payment system. And unfortunately, coronavirus has really derailed a lot of those plans for the time being. What I have seen is it has allowed the opening up of other ways of providing care, which is really one of the goals under a different system where we can provide care in the way that the patient needs, in the way that's convenient for the patient, at the time that is convenient for the patient, so that everyone can get the care that they require. I think right now, really, we've limped along our fee-for-service system to help support those new modes of care. And the next step is really going to be developing ways to pay based on quality that can encompass those modes of care. Are you using telehealth at the uh, health department here? We are. We were already doing some telehealth 
visits through our medication assisted treatment for opioid use disorder program uh, in association with the North Carolina Medical Society Foundation and so luckily we already had some experience with that and a platform we were used to using and we could just expand on that to provide more services. It's been interesting because uh, you really have to think, rethink the way you provide care. I wasn't able to be in the office last week and, uh, for a couple of days and we realized the patients could still come to the office and a nurse could assist with the exam and I could see them from where I was, uh, which is a different way to think of things, but still better than having the patient at home. At least then we could get some vital signs and, and have a, a more trained practitioner assisting with the exam. So it's definitely opened up a lot of creativity for us. So, uh, you know, as we move beyond this sort of initial stage of the crisis and what I would uh, term more of a long-term battle uh, with coronavirus, what do you think we have learned to date and where do you think we go from here? I think right now, really what we're learning is how fast something can spread and how important it is to protect our vulnerable populations. I think we're also really learning how important it is to have good control of our chronic medical problems. We've seen you know, many people across the country have much poorer outcomes when they have individual or multiple disease processes going on, especially when they're uncontrolled. So I'm, I think we all know it's important to have good control of our diabetes and our blood pressure, but I think this really puts it in a different lens and makes it even more of a priority. So what's the thing that we should be doing most right now to educate other family physicians across the state uh, about the intersection of public health and primary care? And, and what do we need to be telling patients right now and the general public? There is such an overlap between public health and primary care, and, and we all do some of the other. I think it's important to remember that your local health departments really are your friend. We're there to help you and provide support and advice. I know sometimes it seems like we're just there to create more work for you and forms that you have to fill out. And please know um, that, you know, from working in private practice where I had individual patients in front of me, and now in public health, I have individual patients, but I also have to think of the community as a whole and it's becoming more and more important even for private practices to think of the community as a whole because we're seeing how connected everyone is. So uh, as we sort of move out of this with the public, what, you know, what's the biggest advice you can give the general public in North Carolina? I hope that as we move forward, we all remember the importance of washing our hands and being healthy and taking good care of ourselves and taking good care of our neighbors. I'm really hopeful that when the fall comes, flu rates will be down further than they ever have before because we're all doing such a good job with our hand hygiene. I'm actually kind of excited to see what happens with that. And, you know, just like how wearing face coverings isn't necessarily for you, but for the people around you and to keep other people healthy. I have seen instances in the community where people are really uh, coming together, even if not physically, uh, with some common and shared goals. And I hope that that, that positivity and the positivity that people have really had for the medical community can continue well beyond this crisis. Before we close out uh, today, uh, tell us a little bit about your role as a board member and an executive committee member at the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians and, you know, how that has maybe changed your viewpoint uh, on things as you come up through the ranks. 
I've really enjoyed my role on the board with the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. It's really important to me uh, to represent, represent the family physicians across the state. I know that my medical or political views may not always be the same as every family physician and everyone deserves to be represented and acknowledged. So I really enjoy some of the high level discussions that we have about things going on around the state so that we can not only provide a good working environment for our family physicians, but help support the care of patients across North Carolina. Once again, this has been uh, Dr. Shauna Guthrie, uh, the at-large member of the executive committee of the NCAFP and medical director for the Granville Vance Health District. Uh, as we close today's show, I'd like to share one statistic that's somewhat startling from a recent survey of family physicians and pediatricians across our state. Over one in 10 of our respondents were considering permanently closing their practice or having to sell to a larger entity as a result of the financial strain of COVID-19. That number grows to close to 15% when you look at physician-owned practices and rural practice. We simply can't afford to lose that primary care capacity. It's time for our state's elected officials and both public and private payers to come to the table and reinforce the primary care infrastructure and the public health infrastructure in our state. Thanks for joining us and stay on the lookout for the next edition of NCFM Today.